Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. I learned how to evaluate deals and what to look for through the hassle-free cash flow investing with Dave Campbell through Equity Happens and that book and then Rich Dad Poor Dad. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fund That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fund That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff. Today is Friday. We've got a special segment for you that we normally do called Follow Along Fridays. And today, we're actually kicking off a three-part series. And it is an interview that Theo Hicks, the co-author of The Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever, Volume 1 and Volume 2 book. Theo Hicks is interviewing me. And the three-part series is broken up as follows. Part 1 will be my career path leading up to buying my first investment properties. And part two, which will be at a later date, will be my single family home investments. And part three will be my multifamily home investments. So we're breaking it up in three parts. And the reason why 
we're doing an interview series is because I get a lot of the same questions and we figured it would be helpful to provide this to the best ever listeners in case you are having some of these same questions and you haven't had an opportunity to ask. And this is not about me, even though Theo is interviewing me. This is about you and how I can serve you and how Theo can serve you with this information. And so our hope and what we're envisioning is that the conversation that you're about to listen to will help you in your entrepreneurial journey, whether it is how do you go from single family homes to multifamily, how do you build a brand in two and a half to three years that is a leading brand in your industry, how do you create a community how do you get more deals done? How do you get private money? How do you build relationships with investors? Anything in all of that as it relates to my career. So with that being said, Theo, you want to kick it off? Let's do it. So first question to kind of give the listener some context. And again, we're starting before you really knew anything about investing whatsoever. So do you want to just quickly, maybe for a couple of minutes, explain what you're doing career-wise before you even heard or even had the inkling of being a real estate investor? I was working on Madison Avenue in New York City. I was a junior project manager at TBWA Shiite Day, and I graduated college in 2005. I moved straight from Texas, so Lubbock, Texas, cows and cotton, to New York City, a bunch of skyscrapers and concrete. And I moved there because I wanted to compete with the best of the best in advertising. That was the primary reason I moved there. I had only visited New York City twice prior to moving there. Once was when I was 13. One of my brothers went to West Point, and I visited him for graduation. I might have gone before, too, but I don't really remember. But I was like 13 years old, really young. And then the second time I visited was about four months prior to graduating, and it was just for a weekend to speak to some companies. So I didn't know New York City by any means, but I knew I wanted to be there because I wanted to compete with the best of the best. Once I moved to New York City, and by the way, I got a job in New York City. I think this is interesting to note just from um, the mentality and approach that I take I was on the board at Texas Tech. I was on the Texas Tech advertising team, which is a competition where we compete against other schools to create an advertising campaign. And we spend all year working on the campaign. Then we go compete in our district, which comprised of University of Texas, Texas A&M, Tulsa, a bunch of other schools, SMU, TCU. And then if you win that, you go to nationals. So I was on the team, and as a result of being on the team, by the way, we got third place in our district, and the district winner won nationals, but besides the point here. Because I was on the team, when the alums from our school visited, our teachers handpicked some students to meet with them. Okay. And I was able to meet with them, and there's this one gentleman who, his name's Mark DiTrinaltas. And he was working at an advertising agency in Houston at the time, but that agency he worked at had an office in New York City. And I told him 
Mark, I'd really like to get a job in New York City. And he introduced me to someone at his company, which was J. Walter Thompson, JWT now. And I was able to get an interview with that individual. And once I had that interview booked, I then literally reached out to every advertising agency in New York City. Literally. I don't just throw around the word. I emailed every single agency and I said, I'm coming to town on this day. I'd love an opportunity for an informational interview with you. And I did not hear back from any agency except for one. And that was TBWA Shiat Day. I didn't get the job at JWT. I did get an offer at TBWA Shiat Day. And I stayed in touch with them prior to getting the offer. I stayed in touch with them for four months leading up to my graduation. And that was something It got me here today because I, one, was on a team that was perceived as the cream of the crop within the College of Media and Communication. Even though my grades were B's and C's. Mm -hmm. But I threw everything that I had into the team because I saw that as the most relevant application to what I wanted to do, advertising at the time. And I was excelling within the team structure. So that's one. Then two was once I got one little way in, once they cracked open the door a little bit, I tried to blow it down. And that's when I reached out to all these people and I got the job at Shiat Day. And I was a junior project manager at the time as my first position. I think what's really interesting about that, because it kind of shows your where you've gotten your team-oriented mentality and your action-oriented mentality. We always talk about you don't have the experience yourself when you're investing in real estate. If you surround yourself with a great team or mm-hmm. the best team, then that can kind of offset your lack of experience, especially if you're trying to raise money for deals. I know we'll get into this in later podcasts, mm-hmm. but I think that's – I want to make a note of that because that totally – makes sense when we talk about on past podcasts that's kind of surrounded with the team which is kind of exactly what you did you didn't have experience yourself and that would be you know, your grades weren't as high as you wanted to be but since you were on that amazing team mm-hmm. everyone looked like oh wow he was on this, this team that won third place in regionals or, or nationals so I think that's that's interesting and then also you're blasting out to all the different agencies kind of reminds me of someone who's just starting off as trying to find some sort of deal yeah. you know instead of just sending out you know, one letter to one person, them saying, no, you're just like, oh man, well, I guess I'm not going to be an investor. And we're like, you know, I'm going to send it to everyone. And maybe if you didn't send it to everyone, no one would have responded mm-hmm. and you wouldn't have been where you're at now, but you kind of went that extra mile and sent it to everyone. So I think those are two very telling things for you, but also for the best ever listeners to let them realize that you can kind of apply the same thing you applied to your, your advertising job to real estate investing or really any business in general. So. Mm-hmm. But 2005, you're in New York City now. From 2005, you're at your first job until, I guess, when did you first hear about becoming an investor? When was the first time that the word investing or you even just became interested or the possibility of being a real estate investor? When did that kind of come? I don't remember the first time I thought about it, but I remember the first book that I read that really turned me on to investing and real estate investing. I do remember something, now that I think of it. Maybe I blocked it out, but (laughs) now I do remember. At $1,000 that I'd saved up, and by the way, my salary at Shiite Day was $30,000. So my paycheck every two weeks was about $775 Mm -hmm. after taxes. And my rent was about 
I think seven seventy five or seven fifty. So it wiped out one paycheck. I had another paycheck to pay for everything else. And therefore, clearly, I didn't save a lot of money until I started making a little bit more. But I did keep my expenses fixed, mm-hmm. and that's an important point for how I was able to save up money for my first property. Is even though I was living in New York City, making a relatively low amount of money for New York City standards, I was keeping my expenses fixed. I lived in the same apartment for nine years. I had one apartment for first year and then another apartment for nine years. And my rent stayed the same. My friends made fun of me for living like a college kid. But as far as $1,000 goes, I eventually saved up 1000 bucks and I put it into a CD, Certificate of Deposit. And they held that for 12 very long months. Mm -hmm. And then I finally got my $1,000 back after 12 months, and I got the profit from that. And it was like $16. Man. $16. Then you get taxed on the $16 profit. Something ridiculous like that. And I thought to myself... There's got to be a different approach to do this. I mean, the world felt like it stopped at that moment. And cabs were frozen in time. I was frozen in time. I was just like, what is going on here? And I realized I've got to do something else. That just wasn't the right path for me. Okay, that's kind of what opened the door for you to start servicing. So I guess guess prior to that moment, what was your long-term plan? Did you have a long-term goal or was it just kind of continuing the advertising agency and invest in... And CDs, or was it something that we, you didn't even really think about at that point? I did not think about that okay. at that point. I was 22, 23 years old, and a lot of best ever listeners are that age or younger, and they're thinking about it already. They're so far ahead of me. I was doing the 401k thing because that's what they said I should do, but other than that, I wasn't thinking about investing. I think that's another very telling point because you, for those 23 years, and this is something I've kind of fallen into is. As well as that you said, I was kind of doing what they told me to do, and that's you know, that's what most people do. For the, like when they, when they're growing up, they just, you know, yeah. their parents tell them to do this, and so they do it, and then their employers tell them to do this, and mm-hmm. so they do it, and kind of everyone else is doing the four hundred one k. And but you fortunately took action right away and saved up a thousand dollars, put it in the CD, saw that you got paid one point six percent plus got taxed mm-hmm. something at, and you're just like, there's literally no way I could survive in New York like this. So your eyes are opened up. When did you come across real estate investing? Was it a book that you read or was it a person? Yeah, it was a book. And I I have the book here with me, Investing for Dummies. That was the book that was the gateway into real estate investing because it talks about three ways to invest. One is investing in stocks and bonds. Two is investing in LLCs or startups. Mm -hmm. And three is investing in real estate. And I just naturally gravitated towards real estate investing. And I can see some of the highlights here. I mean, this chapter is as basic as investing in a home, deciding whether to rent or buy, finding the best properties to purchase, how to figure market value, tax implication. It's good basic stuff. And once I read that, which I recommend if someone's starting out, to read that book, Investing for Dummies. Once I started, I identified real estate as the path I was interested in, and my sister sent me Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Once I read that, I was hooked, like most people were, and I started 
coming up with a way for how I would buy my first investment property. Okay, so you read the book, sort of creating a plan, and obviously, as you kind of said, you're making six, seven hundred and seventy-five dollars per paycheck. Half of that was to rent. I'm sure another quarter of that went to, to living expenses. So you had an extra quarter left over. At that point, did you kind of look at your budget and figure out how much money to save up and how long will it take yeah. for me to buy my first property? You yeah, I talk about that whole plan. Yeah, it took me from 2006 ish to 2009, maybe 2007, 2009. I don't exactly remember when I started saving my thousand dollars, but I didn't buy my first place until October of 2009, and I graduated college in May of 2005. Yeah, it was for a little over four years from college to buying my first home. So what I looked at was how much money do I need to buy a property? And fortunately, I was saving up money when 2008 hit. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the money to buy, therefore I wasn't investing. That's just straight luck. Mm -hmm. I was born at the right time and I didn't have money at the time when everyone else was buying at crazy prices and they lost their money. So I just put together a plan, you know, save every penny outside of my expenses that I'm keeping relatively low. I had a roommate after I graduated up until 31 years old. I had a roommate and it was just random Craigslist roommates. Okay. I had like five roommates from Craigslist and literally every other one was... A character. <laughs> I lived with a prostitute. I did not know she was a prostitute, but it's factual. She was a prostitute. She's also a student and a prostitute. I lived with one of my really good friends. I met him through Craigslist. His name's Pedro. And I call him Pedro Pete because he'd introduce his name as Pedro or Pete. And I was like, what is your real name? He's like, well, it depends on who I'm talking to. I was like, all right, you're Pedro Pete from now on. So I've met Pedro Pete through Craigslist, and he is a roommate, lived with me for, I don't know, like four or five years. One of my good friends from Texas, he was the first person who I moved in with, so I knew him, Doug. So yeah, I always had roommates. I lived in an apartment that had two bedrooms, a hallway, a bathroom, and a kitchen. And that's it. No living room, nowhere to like lounge. Mm -hmm. It was just that. That's all that I needed, and I had a dorm-style refrigerator, nice. yeah, <laughs> with a little bitty freezer tray, like four inches tall by maybe like 12 inches wide, and got made fun of, but I was also saving up money, and because I was able to save up the money by having a lower salary, I was able to save the money by having those expenses low, even though I had a lower salary. I was able to get my money for my first place. So basically, the theme I'm kind of seeing here is you basically sacrificed, I won't say to sacrifice completely those four years, but you sacrificed aspects of those four years because you knew that at some point, you knew it, I mean, again, based off of the $16 interest payment, you knew that yeah. I needed to do this if I wanted to reach my long-term investment goal. And so I guess the question I have is, and you kind of already alluded to it. There's people that you had in your life that were you know, making fun of you and saying, "Oh, I can't. You're not going out. You're not. You're in New York City. Why aren't you, you know, kind of living the New York City lifestyle?" And I'm sure there weren't many people as you knew that were doing what you were doing. 
as a human being is difficult because we have this mm-hmm. need to conform. And, and something else you always talk about is the need for that instant gratification. Yep. And so, I guess psychologically or mentally, why do you think that you were able to sacrifice those four years yeah. and, and continue to do it for four full years? For me, it was easy because... I knew that my friends were upgrading from the apartment I just described to another apartment that was about the same size, but it was a one-bedroom, and they didn't have a roommate. Yeah. That's what basically the natural progression is. progression is. And I didn't care about having a, my own one-bedroom apartment. I wanted a house that we're in right now. I wanted a house like this, where we're filming this, in my home office. Mm-hmm. And... If I wasn't going to get that, which I sure as hell wasn't going to get in New York City. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Then why bother with the stuff in between if I can go and go from A all the way to Z? Why bother with B through Y? Y, Z? Yeah. (laughs) B through Y. Why bother with that? And I know what I want, so I would prefer to... Just hold, like Braveheart movie, when all the, the savages or the opponents are coming at them, and they're at the line, and Mel Gibson's like, hold, 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 and then eventually they hold up their sticks, and yeah. they all, like, all the horses and stuff run into these big old sticks and die. That's how I approach it, because there's no reason to get incrementally better things if I don't care about those incrementally better things. I just know what I want, so I'm going to wait until... I can get what I want. And I knew in New York City I wasn't going to be able to get that. So there's no reason to try and get the smaller scaling up stuff. Yeah. And again, it's interesting that you say that too because that's also a precursor to you kind of doing the exact same thing for investing. You went yeah. from single family to just 168 units. Yeah. Because again, I mean, do you necessarily have to go from one unit to two units to four units to eight? We don't necessarily yeah. have to do that if you is unnecessary. Okay, so four years, we decide... In 2007, you said, around that time, to right, investing is my go-to avenue. I've got three to four years to save up money. We kind of talked about how psychologically you were able to, to sacrifice mm-hmm. the incremental steps. And you just like, I'm going to go from A, and then I'm going to wait until I can go to Z. Mm-hmm. More, I guess, tactically speaking, what else did you do during that time, I guess, specifically education-wise, in order to understand and, and learn about real estate investing? So you had that large gap between making that decision to do it until actually being capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. read a lot of books. Equity Happens was very influential in my life. And that is written by the real estate guys who have the radio show, the real estate guys radio network, I believe it's what it's called. I'm forgetting their names right now, but I've interviewed one of them on my show. That is an inspirational book. Now, it's out of print right now. It used to be. It might not be anymore. But Equity Happens is the book. The reason why it was inspirational is at the beginning of the book, they have a story about two people. And one is a high-paying exec. The other, I believe, is a janitor. And you know where the story is going, right? The janitor ends up saving money, buying homes, becoming financially free, but not being showy about it and saving and being prudent with his financial spending. Whereas the executive gets a raise, buys a jet ski, has a vacation home, has a lake house, whatever. 
that story really resonated with me, and I've read it multiple times. In addition to reading a bunch of books, I actually I hired a consultant after I bought my first house. So we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about that, that okay. next time. Yeah, I've hired three consultants in my career. I think it's just reading. I think it's just, quite frankly, it's just reading, and I didn't do a whole lot besides that. I talked to my sister, who's a real estate agent in Dallas-Fort Worth. She introduced me to some people, and I didn't work with my sister as a real estate agent on my first purchase. There was something that she was doing. She was unavailable, but she referred me to someone, and I actually educated him because he had never worked with investors. And that's another way I was learning because I was actually having to educate this one real estate agent about what I'm looking for. It was very clear in my mind what I was looking for. And I can talk a little bit about this because it's leading up to, we won't talk about the numbers or anything yeah. of the actual deals, but I learned how to buy a property and what I was looking for based on the books I was reading. Hassle-Free Cash Flow Investing by Dave Campbell, okay. who's going to be in our volume two book, was really influential with me as well because I was looking at homes that were hassle-free since I was remote, I was in New York City, but I knew it was cost prohibitive to buy in New York City. Mm-hmm. So I was looking in Texas, which is another thing that was a bit unique. And because I was looking at hassle-free investing, which by the way, now I realize that's not where the money's at, but it's mitigating risk. And especially on my first purchase, even though I wasn't thinking this way, I wasn't comparing the two because I didn't know to compare the two. But it did help me have a solid single, which has now turned into a double on the first deal. And again, we won't get into that. We'll talk about that in the part two of this interview series. But I learned how to evaluate deals and what to look for through the hassle-free cash flow investing with Dave Campbell, through Equity Happens and that book, and then Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I combined all of that, and I found an online calculator that I could easily plug numbers into okay. and then conservatively estimate what the bottom line would be. And all I wanted to do was make 100 bucks a month from the investment property, which I ended up doing for all of them, except for the fourth one, which, again, we'll talk about later. Okay, so books... And then, you, I guess, relationships, mm-hmm. the one you had with your sister, and she kind of helped you out, and she also kind of helped you figure out deals. Did you also take a little bit of a seminar? Was that something else you did? I did after my first property. Okay. I went to seminar after my first property, Rich Dad, Poor Dad seminar, and I have that workbook with me as well, Learn to Be Rich Training Academy. It was a seminar that was like 300 bucks, not the $10,000 seminar that they upsell you once you attend the $300 one. And I've heard good and bad things from people who I refer to the seminars. Or I just mentioned I went and so they go. And it's not like I'm an official resource or partner. And good and bad things come from those seminars from people. I've heard that they love them and I've heard that it was ridiculous. And I think... The main thing is, who is your trainer? That's like the main difference, I believe. And my trainer was really good. So I got a lot out of it. But I'm looking at the notebook here. This was from, what year are we in? 2017? Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) 2017. So this was 
probably seven years ago or so. And it says, continue to go bigger. And I wrote, go bigger in all caps. And they said the first thing when I walked in the door. And I walked in with my chest puffed out because I had one investment property. I thought I was hot stuff. And they said, you're never going to get financially free if you focus on single-family homes. You must do either apartments or mobile home parks. And I don't believe that now, but I did then. Because I know you can get financially free in any type of real estate because people do and mm-hmm. people have. But it is a little bit easier. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. It's not easier. I just took their advice at face value. And I was like, well, I don't know mobile homes, but I did live in an apartment whenever my parents got a divorce when I was like fourth through sixth grade. I lived in an apartment. And then now I was in New York City. I'm currently living in an apartment. So I know how apartments work. So I just gravitated towards that. And that's whenever I started studying apartment investing. Okay, so you would attribute this to being the gateway into going from the single family to the multifamily. Yeah. Okay. The last thing I wanted to talk about, I think this would fit for this kind of first interview, because it's not specific to real estate investing, but it's about your job, right? So because I remember you got to the point where you're making a six figures as your job, you're working a lot. You're the youngest vice president at the company. And then you decide to quit and go become a full-time real estate investor. I guess it's kind of a two-part question. Is One, how are you able to balance being an investor while I'm sure you're working a lot? So how are you kind of able to, to balance those two? And then secondly, do you want to maybe talk a little bit about kind of that decision to basically leave your job mm-hmm. and, and invest full-time? I think people will be very interested to learn about that. As far as the balance goes, I was buying hassle-free cash-flowing properties. Okay. Therefore, there wasn't much time that it took. Now, granted, there were moments where I was getting contracts during the day and I was having to skate off and print some contracts and sign them and send them back. Because I made more offers on properties than I actually bought. I bought four total homes. And I made, I don't know, probably 20 to 30 offers from those four homes I closed on. So I did throughout the day when the deal was happening have to dedicate a little bit of time. And I would just kind of use that as my lunch break or stay late at work. I'd get to the office at 9 a.m. and I would leave at 9 p.m. on average, Monday through Friday. And it was a social environment. It was a lot of fun. Okay. It was an advertising agency, New York City. Everyone was pretty young. And it was like an extension of college. It really was. Okay. It was a lot of fun. A lot of hard work, long hours. After 8 p.m., we'd get food delivered to us. And we'd just keep on working. And I had some flexibility with my okay. schedule in that regard. As far as deciding to leave, I decided to leave when... There was a hurricane that I think ended up being a tropical storm in New York City, and the name is escaping me. But Sandy? It, Sandy, I believe. It, I yeah, it was Sandy. yeah, I think it's Sandy. Yeah, it was in October of 2012. Well, at this point, I was the VP of the New York City Advertising Agency, and our office was shut down. Because there was flooding in the ground floor where the, the heat and the air conditioning unit was, and so it knocked out the whole building. Oh, 
as a result. So we weren't going into the office for basically the entire month of October of 2012. And my buddy, Giancarlo, I call him GCP, he had just left the advertising agency and started his own agency. And I met with him for lunch at a place in the West Village. And I was sitting there with him. We're looking out the window. He was working on his stuff. I was working on my stuff. And I just had a realization. This is what I need to be doing. I need to be able to command my time. I cannot be going into the office every day and punching in, punching out, doing something that I don't care about at all. I can't be doing it. And up until that point, that question fast-forwarded to me buying these four homes, right? So yeah. you just fast-forwarded time. I'll just mention this. I was teaching a class on how to buy the single-family homes okay. in New York City. I was also writing a book called Join the Remarkables, How to Have a Remarkable Career, where I interviewed 70-plus people from the VP of Corporate Communications at Southwest Airlines to the Soldier of the Year in the Army. Successful entrepreneurs. I haven't published this book yet. I will eventually. But I was interviewing people for that book. I was teaching that class. I was investing in apartments. And I had this full-time job. So I was doing other stuff. And I saw how that other stuff was lighting me up a lot more than my day-to-day job of coming up with social media strategies. I just did not care about that at all. So I wrote an email to my family. And I said, I came, I conquered, but I don't care about it anymore. I'm leaving the advertising industry. I'm going to quit my job at the beginning of January 2013. I sent the email in November and I was going to quit in January. Well, I got called into the HR office in early December and they said as you know we just lost a Procter Gamble account okay. which was 40% of the agency business so we're going to have to let you go and I was the happiest person they have ever seen who they've let go because they gave me a severance package and I got paid for two more months after I left on good terms it was the most incredible thing that could have happened for me because I was basically getting paid, didn't have to work the rest of December, and I got paid all of December and all of January. Yeah. And I was going to quit at the end of December anyway. And by the way, even if I was doing as well as I did at the previous agencies, because I was at my first agency for nine months, my second agency for like seven years, and my third agency for nine months. And the middle agency, the one I was there for so long, I was thriving. I loved it. But the last one, the culture wasn't right. So I wasn't excelling. And if I was excelling, they wouldn't have let me go. The Procter & Gamble reason was a good reason, and they let go a lot of people. But quite frankly, if I was excelling the way I was excelling at a previous company, and I was focused on it, they wouldn't have let me go. So I don't want to say that the only reason I got let go was because of some account being lost. If I was valuable enough to the agency, they would have kept me. Because in 2008, at a middle agency, they had to let go like 80% of the people, and I stayed on. And I grew with the company because I was loving it, and I was all in. 
But when the first round hit with this third company, I got let go primarily because I think I wasn't doing a good job, which I wasn't. I didn't care. But then also because they lost their largest account. So it worked out really well. I think that's cool that you're able to be honest with yourself. Instead of saying, the only reason I got let go is because of the Procter & Gamble account. If that didn't happen, I'd, I'd still be there. But you're like, no, I, I wasn't performing up to even probably your own standards. And it's because, and I think this is a good reason why you just kind of exhausted your mm-hmm. your drive in the industry and you realized. Well, something that you said specifically that resonated with me is that you were doing other things that were like, were lighting you up. Yeah. Right? Because I think, at least for me personally, I also quit my full-time job multiple times but for me it wasn't like oh this over here is making me feel a lot better than this Mm -hmm. it was like i don't like this at all (laughs) and so i had to get out of here and run away to something else Mm -hmm. and i guess i kind of had parts of real estate that were kind of lighting me up but i think that's a very very key point for people that are thinking about transitioning from a standard nine to five the corporate career that everyone talks about to something else make sure you have something else and that something Mm -hmm. else is actually lighting you up but one more question how much money did you have you left 50,000 I forgot to mention in my email to my family in November the month before I got let go I said the only reason why I won't leave is if my refinance on my home doesn't go through Okay. Because on my third house, we'll get into this on our next Mm -hmm. segment but my third house I bought with all cash and then it appraised for more than what I got it for and I got all my money back, and it was about fifty thousand okay. dollars. So I had fifty thousand that I could then go with, and that's actually also why I didn't leave in November. Now I'm remembering it because my refinance hadn't gone through, mm-hmm. and they needed to see my W two job. Oh yeah, or else the refinance would have been blown up. So I had to stay until the refinance went through, and it went through like right whenever I got let go. Okay. Is there anything else that you can think about that would be relevant to your journey, pre-single family homes, or just kind of anything that doesn't involve the actual investing, whether it be a mentality or any habit or routine that you had, or I guess any other piece of advice that you can give to someone who's been in a similar situation as you were at that time? I'd say that... If you're not fulfilled by what you're doing right now, and fulfilled is sometimes a tricky word. If you don't enjoy what you're doing right now, we know what enjoy means, and we know what we feel when we enjoy things, then simply sample life experiences. Sample other things. Take a Dale Carnegie class, right? Yep. That's what you're taking. Theo's taking a Dale Carnegie class. Somehow I'm on those emails, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk about that okay. <laughs> I don't know how I'm getting emails about this. I'm not <laughs> attending this class, but I'm like getting all the notes from these classes. I was doing improv. I was doing stand-up comedy. I was taking other classes in person, public speaking classes, or how to be a successful or effective writer. So I was sampling different things to see what I like to do. And then when I sampled it and I liked it, then I wanted more of it and I learned more and more and more. That's how I started getting into larger and larger deals. So that, yeah, that's my I, final I piece. Was, I think that is amazing advice. Cool. It's really good advice. Well, best ever listeners, I hope you got some actionable things from this. Hope you're inspired to a certain extent or a large extent. And I'm grateful for you being a part of the community. 
Hope you have a best ever weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Do you want to learn more about the real estate buying and selling process? Learn to earn passive income with the cash flow guys as Tyler Chef and his team discuss their secrets to creating cash flow. Check out the Cash Flow Guys podcast at cashflowguys.com. That's C-A-S-H-F-L-O-W-G-U-Y-S dot com.